This week at Midweek in the City, Danny Painter joins us to tell us about his story and how we might pursue dating and marriage in a healthy way. And y'all, I know normally we do discussion questions around tables, but earlier this week I said, hey, submit some questions for Danny so that, you know, we make sure that this is a, um, a good, you know, meaningful evening together, and we had a lot of questions. So I'm, we're going to skip that part this week um, because I want to get to all of these awesome things from Danny. Um, but <laughs> we'll see about yeah. the awesome part. So what we'll do is um, we have some questions that y'all sent in and some questions that I wanted Danny to address. And then it, as we have time at the end, we'd love to hear any you know questions or things that that brought up in your mind. And so um, I asked Danny, since he's our minister for marriage and he kind of oversees Marriage Strong, our marriage ministry here, um, and it's Valentine's week, you know. Um, to talk about dating, relationships, all of these things, right? And so, because that's important. Um, and so, yeah, and we just want to learn more about you and your story. I'm so, I'm so glad thankful. You're here. Yeah, awesome. So, um, okay, so first off, just tell us about yourself. How did you come to know the Lord? What drew you to ministry? Yeah. Okay, so um, first let me say I've been, I've been on staff here at First Baptist for eight years. But before that, lived in Virginia for 10, serving on staff at a church there. I'm an MK, a missionary kid, so I had the joy and privilege of growing up in different places in the world. Primarily, I grew up in West Africa um, and then ended up graduating from high school in Germany. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, and when I, when I say Christian home, it was a Christian home. My parents really loved Jesus and lived that out. Uh, obviously, not perfect parents necessarily, but I saw Jesus clearly in their life. Um, but it wasn't until I was 17 years old uh, uh, that faith, my faith in Jesus became my own. Mm-hmm. And um, that was after a brief season of being being very blunt with God and saying I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And not because I was wanting to do the most craziest things in the world, I just wanted to do my own thing, um, but I didn't stay there long, and by God's grace, in the ministry of other people, it was 17, that I said, I just, I can't change my heart on my own, um, and I just surrendered myself uh, to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration and wholeness, uh, and that started a spiritual journey for me. Um, I knew within a year, about a year and a half, um, that that God was leading me into vocational ministry um, because he started giving me a particular kind of desires in my heart. I went on a mission trip my senior year uh, of high school in Germany. We went to um, uh, Russia, and um, and I remember I, I had lived in Belarus, so I had, I had picked up some of the language, but I really struggled with actually talking about Jesus. Uh, when I was interacting with people, it was really frustrating. And it was then that God began to cultivate a uh, desire and longing um, to speak and teach the gospel uh, to others. And um, the Lord took that from there. I shared with my parents that I thought God was starting to do something um, and lead me on a path towards vocational ministry. And my dad shared a story with me. He never, he had never told me up to this point, uh, never in um my upbringing had my parents alluded to or said, we know what you're going to do, or uh, you're going to be a preacher, or none of that ever happened. Um, 
but after I shared with them what I sensed the Lord was doing, my dad shared a story that uh, when they were in language study um, at Callaway Gardens in Georgia, um, of course, this is, this is like 46 years ago. Um, you can do the math. Um, 46 years ago, uh, I was conceived while they, were, while they were at language and missionary preparation before they had even gone to the mission field. And so my parents were a little concerned, like, we're going to have a baby in France um, uh, in a different culture, and how are we going to do this? It's going to be adding, it's going to add additional stresses and burdens. And, and so um, my dad said that he went on a walk around a lake on Callaway Gardens, uh, which is a golf course, by the way, and obviously resort area. So he's walking around the, on the, uh, around the lake, and um, he said, it was at that moment the Lord said, uh, you're going to have a son, and he's going to serve you all of his life. And so that was like, okay, you know, the Lord uses his people to affirm callings in your life, and that was that very clear moment of... Um, this is where you're headed in life. So it was a sweet, sweet moment. I love that he didn't tell you that until after the Lord showed Me you that too. himself. That's <laughs> Me too. That's really great parenting. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So what led you to FBCSAs? What got you to this church? Um, that, that's a really great question, too. Um, we were in Virginia for, had been there uh, seven years in Virginia. Um, and it actually began with Anna, my wife. Um, I've, I've been married 20 years. I've three daughters. Uh, my oldest is Emma, then I have Addison and Darren. Um, but seven years of ministry, uh, Anna said, you know, Danny, I I don't know what the Lord's doing, but I really feel like God's bringing this season of ministry to close. Nothing was wrong. We loved our church family. The Lord was blessing that ministry. And um, But she began to since then. It wasn't long after that that I began um, to really ask the Lord for, for clarity. And I began to since the same thing too. And we began to dream together of what the next season of ministry would look like. And we dreamed about, because at the time I was doing students and family ministry, associate pastor, um, I dreamed about, gosh, I, I would love, I'd love to preach more. And, and I'd love to be able to engage in ministry with my peers, um, married, with kids, uh, where we were in our season of life. And so that was year seven of 10 years in Virginia, and so we began to really pray together about what that next season of ministry would be, uh, and that the Lord would open up doors, and he did. Um, at, at eight and a half years, we decided to share that with our senior pastor, and we just said, we don't know what the Lord's going to do, but we really sense that the Lord is up to something, and he said, Danny, I'm not surprised, and we will, I will I will pray with you that God will provide clarity. And then about about a year, close to year 10, we left it after 10 years. Um, in, in April, the end of April of 2014, um, I was perusing the, the alumni ministry website mm -hmm. of Southwestern Seminary, which is where I went to seminary. And I was just reading through. I hadn't been sending out my resume. In fact, this was this was the only place I sent my resume out to. So I, I saw this job description at First Baptist Church San Antonio. I was like, international ministry, preaching, young marrieds. I mean, it's like, Anna, this is like everything we've dreamed about together and also fits my gifting 
And uh, so I was really pumped. Um, I sent in my resume. I can't remember if it was that day or the next day. Directly to the church. I didn't even go through the Southwestern alumni page. And I had a phone call from uh, Don Guthrie, our former senior pastor who retired, uh, within two days. And we had a 45-minute conversation. So that 45-minute conversation led to us uh, moving here uh, in uh, October of 2014. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I don't think I've ever heard that story. That is so cool. Um, And marriage ministry specifically is part of your calling and and life and those things, and you and your wife together. Um, How did that come to be part of your calling specifically? Or how did that kind of develop? I think the seed of it was kind of what I just shared, Ann and I dreaming about, wouldn't it be awesome to um, serve and minister to our peer group, uh, Marys? And I think when we got here, um, we saw what they had available for marriage ministry, and then we began to uh, kind of cast a vision for a broader mm-hmm. marriage ministry, and then God started putting other couples who were passionate about the same thing, who had come out of brokenness, and, and they had experienced restoration, and it started kind of resonating, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so we started meeting with just really three other couples, dreaming together again, praying together, of what would a, what would a healthy marriage ministry look like in the church family. The other thing, and, and this, y'all are aware of this, is all life is hard. Um, this, this side, of, this side of, of eternity, life is hard because of the nature of brokenness and sin all in, in the world, and particularly marriage. Uh, marriage is, is broken, and uh, we were seeing that in couples within the First Baptist family, and we felt like we have no clue what to do. Yeah. Like, we were at a loss of how do we how do we help these couples? And that was also a catalyst for we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, because a, a, a healthy church has to be made up of healthy people. Mm-hmm. And that includes healthy families mm-hmm. and healthy marriages. And, and so as, as the marriages go, often the church community goes. And we said we, we can't just hope things get better. Mm-hmm. We've got to provide a, a safe place, tear down stigmas, uh, of marriage ministry so that we can really equip and encourage every single marriage in our church family and in the city. Yeah, that's awesome. Because that's what I've noticed just in the few times that I've heard from you and Anna and when you've shared it, like Marriage in 3D or, or other events, y'all are different in the way that you approach marriage ministry than what I've seen in the past. Because I think a lot of times what I've seen is a lot of tropes or a lot of um, not really getting to the heart of what is going on, right? And yeah. y'all are the opposite of that, right? You say real things real and things. based on your own experience and you get down to what is really happening, right? And Absolutely. it's not just um, let's pretend to have a good marriage while we're at church and then live the rest of our lives. And I've appreciated that so much because even just in the short few conversations I've had with y'all, y'all have broken down some of the the bad advice that I've gotten about marriage and dating and those kind of things. So that's encouraging, which is why I also wanted Danny to come and share about dating, relationships, marriage, all of this stuff, um, because it's so helpful. And so, like I said, I've had a lot of bad advice, and y'all have probably gotten a lot of bad advice around around dating and marriage um, from the world, but also from the church a lot of times. Um, We haven't always gotten great advice from the church. 
And so, have you ever experienced some really bad advice on dating or marriage? It doesn't have to be from the church, but what yeah. bad advice have you heard? So, really, about? full disclaimer here. Um, uh, I, I, ha- I really had to try to think back. And um, I've been married for 20 years, which really isn't. I mean, it's, it's a decent chunk of time, but it's not like 50 years, right? But still, I, I really had to think about dating again. And so um, if, if I say anything stupid, just say, Danny, that, that's completely bogus, Danny. Um, but the first thought that I had when it came to advice was I really had no one sharing with me what dating should look like. And I I think if there is any type of perception of dating, I I didn't get it from a mentor or I can't even remember things my parents shared. Um, But I think any perception that I had of dating came from what I saw on TV Mm -hmm. and how things went in movies. And so... I can't think of one particular piece of it, of advice. Um, I mean, I can think of some really bad advice, <laughs> but I was really eager on some of the things that maybe y'all are hearing advice-wise right now. Uh, because yeah. I felt like I, I didn't, and, and that's a problem, by the way. If, if we're not having the kind of Christian community where we can speak into one another and walk with one another on these hugely significant things in life, that's a problem. And, and, and I think that's where the church has really mm-hmm. missed its mark is that it doesn't it hasn't walked um, with uh, those of dating age and who are eager to date hasn't really talked to them about what that should look like. Maybe yeah. Yeah. maybe we didn't know what it needed to look like anyway. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, that's a good I feel like and y'all might have experienced some of this, too. I We grew up in kind of the purity culture Ah, movement, right? And I loved, I mean, I think I was talking to Anna for two minutes, and she, like, tore that whole thing apart and made it make sense in a way that I appreciated. But um, a lot of that was, until you're married, all that I heard was purity, stay pure, stay pure. For the love of God, just don't do anything, stay pure, right? And then, but we want you to have a really happy, healthy marriage. Well, not only that, it's going to be perfect when you're... right. Married, and that somehow there's going to be a flip or a switch that flips, yeah, overnight, and you'll go from all I ever heard about was how to not do something, and then now in marriage I'm supposed to be perfect at doing that, and also know how any of this works at all, right? There's yeah, there was this really weird kind of lack of bridge or information. There. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and so the uh, Julie Slattery, who's become kind of an authority on what she would describe as sexual discipleship, which is incredibly lacking in life of the church. We either make light of physical intimacy or sex and our sexuality, or we don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's been the stigma in our church churches, mm-hmm. um, whereas God has a lot to say about our humanity, our sexuality, and sex, and um, the safest place for us to address and learn and grow and all that that means should be in the context of the church where we're, we're guided by the word of God and we're led by the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that hasn't happened historically. And so, uh, it, and then you have people that I think had wonderful intentions yeah. uh, because they were seeing a desperate need uh, in yeah. their culture um, to say, no, stay pure. But 
they didn't qualify it. They didn't, they didn't provide a foundation of a, a healthy understanding of what it means to be a sexual human being. And um, God's design for sexuality and sex uh, in, in marriage. And, and, uh, and so it, it, it really laid down some principles that they were supposed to hold on to that became destruct- yeah. destructive mm-hmm. or at the very least confusing yeah. and ended up being very hurtful. Um, and it led to a lot of shame and guilt mm-hmm. rather than um, realizing all the goodness that God has for us in our sexuality within the context, uh, especially sex itself within the context of a covenant marriage. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And so I know y'all have had similar experiences to me, whether or not you grew up in the church or not. Um, you've had less than good advice a lot of the time when it comes to this stuff. And so just know you're not alone. And if you feel confused or if you feel like you've had mixed messages from the church or you just don't even know where to begin, that's okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. We've, we, we've all experienced that. Um, so for someone who's in the dating scene now or is kind of entering into that, um, just kind of generally, what, what advice would you have for them? For someone that's just kind of in the, the dating scene trying to figure that out, um, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think that the first thing that I would say is that the authority on relationships is the word of God. Um, and the best picture that we get of relationships that move towards marriage is in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and it's pretty incredible. And so I just want to mention a few things. Um, that I think we find in Genesis 1 and 2 that gives shape to uh, how we move towards one another in a way that it might result in covenant marriage. Um, so in chapter 1, so I'm going to say things you already know, right? In chapter 1, we know God created the heavens and the earth, and then he creates his unique Uh, creation, humanity. He creates a male and female. In his image, he creates them. And then right after that, he commissions men and women, Adam and Eve, who have been made in his image with a particular task, and that is to rule and govern his creation. So right away, you have men and women, Adam and Eve created with his image, and they have been given a job to rule and govern, to, to, to multiply, be fruitful, multiply, and rule and govern the earth, which means to walk in fellowship with God and to govern according to the wisdom of God, right? And fill the earth with his glory. That's why we're image bearers. And how we rule and govern, how we love, we fill the earth with his glory. And then you have chapter 2, which is, uh, is, is a little more in-depth creation story. They're not separate narratives. Uh, Chapter two is a a little deeper explanation and what's going on and and purpose for for humanity. But you end chapter two where we get to that marriage portion, right? Um, Adam realizes in all that God has created, there is no one like me. There's no one that shares um, uh, this image that I bear, uh, and not, not to mention, there's no one that looks like me. And so God creates out of man, woman. Um, and then it says, you know, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Here's, here is this woman 
And, and now I have someone, a partner. Um, it's, it's important to, re to remember, I'm going off on a tangent now, I'm sorry. It's important to remember, uh, sometimes it's misinterpreted that when, when, when God creates Eve, it's to meet a particular need that Adam has. As if his relationship with God is deficient. All right? The reason, uh, the fellowship part is not deficient. What's deficient is that Adam can't get the work done. He needs someone to share that responsibility and that role in a unique kind of way. And so you have God creating this unique other human being to share that responsibility to fulfill that calling. And so, which is pretty cool, which expresses two things here, expresses belonging. Um, you know, God took a portion of Adam and created woman. Uh, that, that's an image of belonging. Men and women belong together. Where The world would say we're at odds with one another, that we need to stake our own ground, right? But the scripture says men and women need each other. We, we belong together, which moves us to the second part. Um, Adam goes, um, woman, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Uh, and then there's that parenthetical or further description of what we call marriage, uh, where it says, and that's why a man leaves his family and joins with his wife and becomes one flesh. Mm -hmm. And then it says this, and then it says they were both naked and they had no shame. Mm -hmm. Um, when, so you just have to think, when, uh, of course, Adam, Adam and Eve didn't have families at this point, right? So this is like commentary about, about humanity, not just Adam and Eve. Um, that when a, a husband, I mean, a man leaves his family, he's leaving security, he's leading provision, and the wife too, the woman is leading security and provision. Her identity and everything was shaped and formed by her family. All her needs were met by their family. So they're leaving all the ways that their needs were being met, their identity was shaped, and then they're joining together. And the scripture just says they're becoming a new family. And within that context of a husband and wife, that oneness, those needs are now met. Mm -hmm. Security, acceptance, wholeness, identity is brand new. A husband and wife, when they become one flesh, they become something brand new. And that brand new thing, before Genesis 3, there's no shame. There's no fear. There's no fear of exploitation. There's complete trust and intimacy. Now, this is, now you're asking, how, what in the world does that have to do with dating? <laughs> what in the world does that have to do with dating? Um... Marriage, the work of marriage is the work of overcoming shame and fear. That's why marriage, that's why we say marriage is hard. It wasn't made to be hard. It's hard because of sin and brokenness. And the result of us walking away from the wisdom of God is that now I serve my own interest out of fear. Now I'm going to preserve myself out of fear. I'm not going to trust this other. So the work of marriage is tearing down shame and fear 
so that you might journey or grow into oneness. And it's the way that was described Mm -hmm. in Genesis 2. So when you think about dating, I know this is really big picture stuff. The advice for dating is, how can I be the kind of person that creates a culture in a marriage, potentially, that destroys shame and fear. That's really good. Right? And so that makes you, so if, if I were to give you advice or, and I, um, one of the questions, well, listen, we're engaged, we're moving towards marriage, which that's kind of the aim of, of dating someone is, is movement. It's, we're designed that way. I would say, here's some really clear cut things about dating that I would encourage you to do. One is, I, would re- I want you to really practice listening and understanding. Yeah. I mean, I want you really to la- listen to, to uh, practice listening and understanding. And, and that's a discipline yeah. that all of us struggle with. But um, if, if you're going to tear down fear and anxiety and shame yeah. in any context, uh, learn how to listen and understand someone. The other major uh, dating advice that I will give, this is all really kind of, uh, not other person focused, it's self-focused, which actually sounds self-centered, but it's not. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I would really advise is even now, even before you're getting married, deal with your own brokenness. Mm-hmm. I mean, deal with your own brokenness. If that means um, if, if you're struggling with pornography, trust issues, your own anxieties and own fears. Try to, try to work on those now. Get all the help that you can get. And this is why I mentioned that. We've been married 20 years. It, one of the biggest struggles that I've had, we've had in marriage, is my wife's anxiety. And it all came from her childhood. And so, but it wasn't until year 15, year 15, that we both came to that awareness, and then she took the steps to deal with that. And that included talking to a primary care physician, finding a counselor, sharing that story with others, finding community that would help her. But all of that unhelped baggage that she carried, and I had baggage of my own, could have been dealt with before marriage, Right? And, and I'm not trying to throw my wife under the bus at all, but I am here to say, when you're thinking about relationships and movement towards marriage, work mm-hmm. on yourself. Identify those places that you know you are broken and struggle with and, and get, to, get to work mm-hmm. on, on those. So learn to listen, learn, uh, re- practice to listen, practice to understand, get well, uh, get well. Um, Oh, I had some other other ones. Um, they'll come back to me in a minute. Yeah, no, that's awesome because that's so much of dating is so hard because yeah, you're focused on well, what is this other person going to bring to the table, or what am I going to find when I, you know, sit down to dinner with this person, right? And yeah, we can't yeah. control any of that. No. Um, what we can control is what we're bringing to the table and what we're carrying in, right? And yeah. so when we're focusing on being the best child of God that we can be, yeah. then that's all we have control over anyway, right? And so that's, 
that's really helpful because that's not how we naturally think about it, I think. Yeah, abs absolutely. I mean, because, uh, yeah. I mean, our world describes relationships. They would never say this outright, but in, in, for all practical purposes, they say, just try to milk relationships for whatever you can get. Mm -hmm. Just take what you can. Take what you can. For the world, relationships is about getting yeah. and taking, although they would never say it quite like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that, the other dating advice, because I just remembered, <laughs> uh, is, which fits with this, is, is practice service and giving. Yeah. Practice service and giving. Um, I'm going to ask you all a, a deeply theological question. Do you all know how to define love? Do you all have a definition of love? Yeah, just yeah, just a definition of love, unconditional love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We could throw that in there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So first, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's First awesome. John chapter 4. Thank you. God <laughs> is love, right? And so what are some ways in the Bible that we see that love manifested? Think of love verses. For God so loved what? He gave. He gave. So I think one of the best definitions of love that helps with the process and thinking about dating and marriage is really love is a commitment to generously giving to a person if we're thinking it about it in the context of marriage. I'm committed to giving to this person. And if that's true, which I think it is, then that shapes how we think about dating and how we move in dating. Yeah. It's not about Okay, what does she have to offer? What does he have to offer? Is it checking all the boxes? Is it um, these things? Does he have a big bank account? Whatever, is he stable? Um, th those aren't bad questions to ask, by the way. Yeah, you don't have, you don't have to ask. Yeah. But, but I, I think that the bigger, the bigger thing here is it, when you're moving towards marriage in a relationship is am I generously giving of myself? Yeah. Am I learning how to do that? Or am I just a taker? Mm -hmm. Are those my expectations? And so I think if you can really try to practice listening and understanding, uh, really try to practice serving and giving, really work on yeah. getting well, I think that's a really healthy way to move forward yeah. in a relationship. That's really good. And that's something, too, even serving and giving of yourself in the way that God intended, right? Because sometimes, you know, maybe depending on how you grew up or the relationships that you've had in your life, you've been taught, well, if I just do anything to please this person, then that's how that relationship is going to go well, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And that goes poorly yeah. in a marriage relationship or in a dating relationship. And that's, it's not... You know, there's balance there, right? Giving of yourself in the way that the Lord calls us to instead of in the, 
the broken way that we've been taught to. I think that's, those, those are really good. No, I think that's, I think there's really wisdom nice. there. So yeah, when you hear me say giving of yourself, um, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I mean in, in the broader sense of, I'm, I'm just not a, I'm just not here to take. Yeah. I'm here to serve this person. Yeah. I'm here to learn how to serve this person. I, I, again, I've been married 20 years, but I'm, I'm a student of my wife. Mm-hmm. And I think in dating, you want to become a student of that person. Yeah. Right? What are what are their needs? What? How can I best serve them? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that encourages and gives meaning. Yeah, that's awesome. So I've talked about this with several folks. It's whether it's the first date or just as you're kind of entering a relationship or trying that out. There's this balance that feels more like fishing line, really thin. And it's how do I take dating seriously and ask, you know, meaningful questions and not just, you know, it's not like we're just having fun and that's the whole point. But also, like, you don't want to talk about marriage on the first date, right? That feels a little, like, heavy. And so the balance between those two things can be hard to find, yeah. right? And because you don't want to waste your time, yeah. but you also can't dive into the, the deep end of the pool immediately, right? So how do we find that balance or where where is the... Yeah. I don't know, the helpful way. Um, well, fun is really important. I think, uh, I think making dating simple, I think our world makes it incredibly complex, uh, but part of the simplicity of, you know, let's have fun together. But um, you learn a lot about each other when you have fun, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, but I would, I would say be very intentional especially in what you say. I think there's a lot of confusion and dating in our culture because there's always this, maybe it's because of a lot of uncertainty, but maybe we have a lot of uncertainty because I don't think we're very clear and intentional in what we say. Well, this is what I mean, is if you're interested in going out on a date with this young lady, person, then say it, right? Don't say, you know, I might give you a call. No, be clear. Yeah. And I, because I've talked to a lot of people of like, I just don't know what this person, where they're headed, what they're thinking. Yeah. Just say, just you be very clear and intentional about what you're thinking. It like, like I'm interested in taking you out on another date. Is that okay? Rather than not calling or not expressing that and just hoping that they get it. So I think. Uh, in dating, being very clear about your intentions. It doesn't mean you all of a sudden go to talk about marriage, yeah. but even the little things. You know, I am going to call you tomorrow. I, I would like to go out on another date. Um, I, think, I think that can take out some of the confusion. Mm-hmm. And then learning, learning to ask questions. I mean, about, you know, is... is is this relationship, I mean, define the relationship, right? Yeah. It's appropriate to ask, hey, where are we headed yeah. in this? You know, or, and it may just be the next day, and that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm still eager to develop a friendship with you. Let's go out again. Right, let's go, whatever, on a hike or putt-putt. Uh, have some fun together. But be very clear about the intentions of the next step that you want to take, and I think that takes away a lot of the confusion. I think 
it's not it's not a bad thing to talk about marriage. I, I don't think it's a, a bad thing, but I think that those conversations likely, if you're being very clear about your intentions, will come up very naturally mm-hmm. as you develop a friendship. I don't think you're going to have to pull that out of someone if you're being very clear uh, from the beginning. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's something that uh, Blaze was very good at. He told me before, as we were kind of starting today, he's like, just to be clear, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I think is going to happen, and these are my goals. And I was like, okay. Wow. That's great. I'm not wondering. So. Okay. Yeah, he was kind of ahead of the curve a little bit, but that's great. Uh, I was not confused about yeah, yeah. what you were wanting. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like we were friends for a long time before that, so there was some context there, but there you go. Um, no, that's really good. And switching a little bit too, um, we've had a guest before, Mark Regner is kind of talk about dating and he, um, he studies relationships and dating and marriage in America. And he's really more of looking at it. Like what are the trends in those things? Um, how has marriage shifted over the last 20 years? Right. And that's kind of what he shared with us. And that was really interesting because they're, that validated some of the things that we were feeling, right, of dating feels different now, right? You know, but a lot of that had to do with online dating specifically. And I know we've had folks that that were in the single adults that met someone online and have gotten married, you know, and there's folks that are currently doing that. What are your thoughts on online dating and how to navigate that well? Because there's also a lot of pitfalls there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I would say first, I mean, there are pitfalls in every avenue. So I think the the same wisdom that you would want to apply in traditional dating, you would also apply there. Mm -hmm. Just just being aware, learning to, uh, you know, ask good questions. I mean, there's just another layer Mm -hmm. that's added with online dating. That being said, I have no problem with with someone meeting their spouse or, uh, you know, Finding someone online, I think it's just a fourth space, right? Our we're we're our society is made up of spaces where we interact and engage with people. It only makes sense that we're going to interact and engage with people online, and so you still need to move with wisdom. Uh, and there might be, like I said, some other barriers, other things you need to go through to discern who this person really is, yeah. right? But. I have no problem with that. It just makes sense to me that, that people are going to meet each other yeah. that way. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and so you've spoken to this a little bit, um, but as um, as you've been dating for a while and you say, okay, this is starting to turn the corner towards engagement and marriage and those kind of things, um, what kind of new conversations need to happen there or what kind of things should folks in that situation be praying through or talking through together as that's kind of turning that corner and they're looking towards marriage? Yeah, Yeah. so I think probably the most important thing is to have conversations about what marriage means, Mm -hmm. what it is, what is this thing? Um, We have inherited a society and culture that mostly looks at marriage as a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but to be honest, that's not the way it's described in Genesis 1 and 2. Hmm. It's not described in that way. We get that in Song of Solomon and other places. So it's not that romance is not a part of a dating and a, a marriage relationship. The main objective of God is to fill the earth with his glory and for married couples to fulfill the job he's given them to do, to govern and rule the earth together. And so you see marriage as the means by which God is going to fulfill that mandate. We call it the cultural mandate. So that's important. It's important for a, a man and a woman to have conversations that go beyond the affections that they have for one another and to realize that marriage was designed for a purpose for God to fulfill through it. And I think that's significant. So uh, uh, the marriage is not just about them two, right? Mm -hmm. It's about how they bring blessing outside of their marriage, yeah. how they bring stability and, and love and joy in, a, in, in society and community. Right, But our culture says marriage is just about you. So I would say, man, if you're moving towards marriage, y'all need to have a conversation about what it is and what its purpose is, not just how much you love each other. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's, you know, we've talked about that a little bit before too. It's easy. I've heard this. I've probably done it. And I've had a lot of friends that have said, you know, when my friends get married... I don't hear from them anymore, right? It, ah. it, it just, they kind of turn into each other as a couple. Mm -hmm. And then now kind of the rest of the world no longer exists in the way that it used to. Which like, you know, does your attention need to change? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. The marriage relationship requires that. But I think something too what you're getting at is the point of marriage is the same as the point of any human life, and that is yep. to glorify God, yep. right? So that's not to say that as a single person, mm -mm. you're disqualified from that. It's to say that a lot of times we miss the point of marriage when we make it about something else, and when we turn into this, like, little cocoon with one another, and now somehow we have a different purpose, right? Marriage has the same mission of, of life, of the life that God created, right? And yeah. that's to glorify him, right? And yeah. I think... We miss that a lot because we make it about ourselves. Yeah, yeah I think well, I think you brought up something that's pretty important that I want you to hear me say. I, I think that both those who are single and those who have married are married um, have unique and significant ways in which they contribute to what God is doing in all the earth. Yeah, I mean we get that clearly from Paul. Paul says. Mm -hmm. If you can hold out, don't get married because you can fully devote yourself to the Lord. Don't yeah. do it. Because when you get married, there are other real life things you have to tend to mm -hmm. that you might not otherwise have to tend to. So he says, if you can do it, Jesus is coming back soon. Of course, now it's 2,000 <laughs> years later. Yeah, Paul hold was, out. yeah. Hold out. Um, but, but uh, and, and then marriage has its own unique way in which it fulfills yeah. That goal. So both of them fulfill that mandate. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so. Yeah, that's a good, because, and you said that before, men and women have their own way of fulfilling yeah. God's calling. And likewise, 
marriage and singleness have their yeah. own way. That's a really good, that's helpful. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, okay, moving to a few of the questions that y'all sent in, because y'all gave me really great questions. Um, and I'm trying so hard to get through all of these, so I'm sorry if we... What time is up. it? It's 8.07. Oh, are we okay? We got till 10 o'clock. <laughs> the after party will continue. <laughs> um, okay. Ah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. these, so these were really, really great, y'all. Um, and a lot of y'all, I, I want you to be encouraged. Okay. First of all, um, a few weeks ago, we kind of did a miniature strategic planning with the single adults, right? And we said, what do we want to hear? And we had a lot of great things. And then I heard from several of you after the fact. I think dating and marriage and relationships are something I want to hear too. And so I want you to know, even if that wasn't said in the room, you are not alone in wanting more conversation around that. And a lot of these questions you had in common too. Okay, so one of them, I thought it was interesting. Why do you think some people consider it a red flag if someone has never been in love or had a serious relationship? Um, when they're on a date, why would someone consider that a red flag to have never been together? Or is that... A good thing to consider a red flag. Well, I think because we think experience is valuable. Mm. I mean, when you apply for a job, it's better for you if you have a list of quality experience. And we take that value and place it on relationships. Mm. But experience, yeah, we don't have a resume for relationships. Exactly. So that's and that's the next question. Do we... Do we really want a person to have a resume of relationships? Um, I do not think that it is required. I think a person can love someone selflessly, generously, uh, can, can learn how to create a culture of safety and acceptance within a marriage without ever dating before. That's good. I don't think it's required. Uh, not to mention, most of the worst things we've learned about relationships have come from past relationships. And, and maybe sometimes we learn great things. Mm -hmm. But experience is only valuable if the experience itself is valuable. And here's another thought. Every, and it's not like I'm opposed to, I'm opposed to serial dating. Uh, in other words, uh, one girlfriend or boyfriend after the other and just trying to figure things out. I, I think, and, and maybe I should give that a little more thought, but I'll say this. Um, we always carry baggage around. And if, if, if we have painful experiences in dating relationships, they are brought into the next one. Mm -hmm. And so I would much rather encourage a person to work on those things that I've talked about. How do I cultivate safety in my friendships? How do I learn to be a good listener? Listen, I, I'm, I'm counseling a couple right now. They're, they're not from our church family. So they're getting married, and, um, and they're awesome. I love them. But he cuts her off while she's speaking. Yeah, that's my pet peeve. Yeah. Right? And that's, Please just not do that. Yes, keep going. Yeah. He does that too. No, that he does that? not do that. He's, he's really good at not. Y'all heard doing it here. Yeah. Blaze cuts her off all the no. time. No. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's it's uh, you. We we 
uh, and I, I, at some point I'm going to have to sit and just say, hey, can we just stop for a second? Do you hear what you're doing? Hear what you're doing. But we bring baggage in from other relationships, particularly dating relationships, if, if they haven't been healthy. And many of the dating relationships that we've experienced probably haven't been that healthy. And so it's not necessary. Yeah. It's not necessary. That's good. Well, and that's something we've talked a lot about in, in this room and with this group, a lot about friendship, right? Because that is one topic that the church doesn't talk about enough, I think, um, even though it's like one of the most valuable things you could ever have in your life. Um, we talk a lot about romantic relationships and not as much about just friendships. Um, but I think even though you've never had, and that now I'm just inserting my opinion, so take this with a grain Come of salt. I'm not a marriage minister, but uh, so much of, even if you've never had a serious relationship or whatever, if you look at the health of their friendships, Mm-hmm. that yes. is a really great indicator of their health, right? Yep. And that's not to say that, oh, they if they have a million Facebook friends, they must be a healthy person. It's look at the people that they've surrounded themselves with and how they care and receive care from their friends. And y'all, I want you to know this, never in my life have I seen a group of people that are better friends to one another mm. than y'all. And I just want you to to hear that. And if you've felt pain of I've never had a serious relationship or I've never, that's not something I've engaged in before. What you have engaged in is really healthy, beautiful friendship, and that yep. is worth a lot. Um, I don't know. That's just my two well, cents on it. But. And let me also say, too, if you, I don't want you to hear me saying, gosh, I've, I've, I've dated you know, a decent number of people over the years that somehow I'm tainted or I have all this baggage. It's not, it's not what I'm saying. I mean... Um, God, God will work through all of that. I'm just just trying to appeal to the question that yeah. it's not required that oh I've got to have experience dating so I can have a good marriage. That's not required. The yeah. the, the person we love uh, learn how to love the most from is Jesus. Yeah. We don't necessarily learn it best by trying this relationship dating thing out. Yeah, that's good. And now no, I'm bobbing and weaving. I'm sorry. We're going to a different one, but. So um, talk about a little bit the importance or your thoughts on healthy, platonic, male-female friendships. Um, Can you maintain those once you're dating and married? What are the value in those things? And I say that because I think so much of my experience has been I had a lot of male male friends growing up, and those relationships were so meaningful to me. Mm Because I learned a lot from that, that yeah. I think spared me from, you know, learning that in other ways. And so I, I found those relationships to be so meaningful. And so could you speak to that and how we might lean into that yeah. but also maintain it? Yeah, I, I think um, uh, friendships between men and women is absolutely valuable and essential. I mean, if you go back to the garden again, that men and women need one another. And we need one another in the doing of what God calls us to do, and, and which means friendship as well. And I think we, we miss out on the fullness of what it means to be the church or human beings mm-hmm. when, like, I can't, I can't be friends with women or I can't be mm-hmm. friends with men. So, um, so I think cultivate those things. Now, Paul gives some really great advice on this. First mm-hmm. uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, he says, listen, I want you to treat... Uh, the older men with lots of respect, 
and I want you to treat the older women like your mom, and I want you to treat the younger women like your sister. Now, I know that's just him talking about Timothy and how he relates to men and women in the church of various ages. But what he's saying there is profound. He's saying, I want you to think of friendship with a person of the opposite sex as your sister or brother. And how would you how would you relate to your sister or brother? And so as as a man with friends who are women, I want to serve them, protect them. Um, help them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and obviously it's it's different than how that, that now that I'm married. But you need to think about friendship with the opposite sex as this is my brother, this is my sister. Yeah. I'm concerned about their purity. I'm concerned about their relationship with Jesus. I'm, um, all of those things of giving, serving, you do it in a sisterly, brotherly kind of way. Now, things do change when you get married. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is when, when you get married, you and your spouse become one. You're, the Bible kind of describes it. You're almost like a, a new entity, yeah. right? You have a brand new identity that you share with one another. And that requires that how you relate to others is going to change, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they call Anna and I DNA. Uh, not you're not here, but, you know, Danny and Anna, DNA. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but we don't have a cool nickname. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Dang it. We gotta work on that. Okay. But but um, all that. Yeah. Bam. Bam. I like that. Okay. Thank I you, like Angela. It. I feel a lot better now. Bam. Thank Bam. You. Bam. Okay. You have a, you have arrived. But um, I think. Yeah. Really. Um, I think recognizing that. When, when your friends do get married, there is going to be that season where they're figuring themselves out and they're learning what it means to be husband and wife. And now they've started a journey towards oneness. Um, and maybe where married couples need to grow mm-hmm. is inviting their single friends into that relationship. I think that's incredibly valuable for a number of reasons. One, because you're friends. Two, because the best way for us to learn about marriage and relationships is around marriages and relationships, which, which brings me back to another question about what do, what do dating couples who are moving toward marriage do? I think one of the things you should do is try to find a great couple to sit down with mm-hmm. and talk about marriage with and even invite them, hey, we're moving towards marriage, we think. Um, could you mentor us? Yeah. Um, I think that's important. So yeah. I think couples should do a better job yeah. at inviting former single friends into their, yeah. their friendship yeah. and marriage. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Oh, this was interesting, too. Um, this was one that was sent in. So how should you ask about a person's testimony or, now I'm, I'm adding my own thoughts to this question, their testimony or their walk with Christ and those kind of things, um, when you're interested in that person, when that's obviously that's important, right? So we want to know that before we're um, getting yeah. too deep into a relationship. But how do you ask about that in a good way? Yeah. Well, I think maybe sharing your own story of faith would be a good place to begin. I think, and may, maybe not the first date, maybe the first date. I think if if you're a follower of Jesus and that's the core of your identity, mm-hmm. um, then then absolutely. 
share your story of faith, and then ask, hey, what is what does your journey of faith look like? Um, it's an intimate question, but the best way to do it is to be clear, yeah. right, and very intentional. Hey, I'm interested in your story and journey of faith. Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, that's good. And that's what I think we tend to overcomplicate. How do we find out the information that we want to find out in a stealthy way, right? And that's, or I don't know, for some reason we make it more hard than it needs to be, but yeah. Yeah. I would love to know about your walk with the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> hey, tell me about that. That's what you want to I know, mean, so ask that, right? Yeah. So, but to back up that question, yeah. I, the scripture's pretty clear. Hey, don't, don't find yourself in a place where you're in a relationship with a person that's not a follower of Jesus. The, the values are radically different. Um, and so yoke yourself, bind yourself, walk with a person that shares the same values as you, uh, that's a follower of Christ. And if they're a follower of Christ, then that question should come easy. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, okay, and I'm having to skip a few because I want to leave some time for questions yeah. from you all now too. But lastly, just what are some helpful books or resources on dating that you have Y'all found. really, this is, this is actually very, I was stumped at this because I, I don't read books on dating, which is, really? I should, huh? I should read books oh, on dating, but I have, I have, okay, I did some Google I mean, you're searches. Like, you know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell y'all, y'all, y'all probably done Google searches too. So, um, so I did a Google search. <laughs> I've never read these in my life, but, um, I think this one and uh, this one and this one, relationship <laughs> goals and outdated. I read some reviews, look really good. Okay. Yes, yes. No, I've heard of some of those. Okay. That's awesome. And a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who's, who's single, she was in my youth ministry years ago. She's a professional now, lives in Virginia. She sent this one to my daughter who's 17. Oh, nice. Outdated. So I should read it. Outdated. Nice. Cool. I should read it. So, but I do have some real suggestions of books that I've read, and these are marriage books, okay? Um, but I don't, I think the best way to understand God's purpose for relationships and marriage is to read books about marriage. This is my favorite, hands down. Hands down, Married for God. It's why, why do we do this marriage thing? Uh, it's profound and it's simple. It's not a big book. It's like that big and, and it's theological, biblical, but it's really like, oh, I see that. Okay, that makes sense. That's helpful. Um, the other one, well, y'all are going to think I'm so lame. Um, the other one, okay, is this. So this is, this is, this re-engage is the book that we use for married couples in a program that we offer at the church. And the whole aim is, the purpose of re-engage and, um, is to, how do you live out your marriage through the lens of the gospel? And I can't think of anything more valuable than that. If you're thinking about relationships and marriage, man, they talk about you don't have you don't you don't even have the ability to love the way God designed you to love. Yeah. You don't have the kind of love that God has. You got to admit that. Mm-hmm. You got to admit that you're broken. You've got to come to things in humility. These are great. So yeah. if you ever want to awesome. peruse this to learn about relationships and marriage and how to how I talked about how really the work of marriage is undoing and tearing down strongholds of fear and shame. This gives you the biblical and gospel principles to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Man, this has been so helpful. Um, and I want to leave a, a little bit of time before we go for 
if you're willing. Yeah, yeah. For, willing. for questions from y'all, if y'all are willing. Do you have any questions on what Danny has said so far or any follow-up questions or anything like that? Hey, can I just say this is a safe place? <laughs> it's safe right here. And I'll, People always get really close to the microphone yeah. when they say that. <laughs> yes. Come on, what you yeah. got? Personality types. That was yes. Wow. That was another one. Personality. And there's a lot of ways to you know do that. There, Enneagram, there's there's all kinds of different things to do that. But have you found I'll tell you that? what I have found is is really the work ends up being the same. Uh, learning how to move towards each other is both learning how to be selfless, mm-hmm. humble, gracious kind. One personality doesn't have an upper hand on that, right? But I will tell you, most most couples that I work with, uh, in general, have one or two personalities. Um, That is, one is generally very passive. In other words, they really struggle with expressing what they're thinking and feeling, and they're generally processors. In other words, you, you want them to give you an answer right now or come to a decision right now or can you tell me what you think about this right now? It takes them a while. They're reluctant to share how they feel. Sometimes they don't even know how they feel. They would rather not address conflict. They would rather just sweep it under the rug. So you have that person. That was me. I, I am a passive by nature, by personality. I tend to be passive. And then you have the other, the person that is conflict's not an issue. They speak their mind. They have no problem telling you what they expect and what they feel. And both of those people have to learn how to, how to move towards one another, to listen, to understand, be gracious and kind, uh, to create uh, a place where of acceptance and safety to where, um, you know, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. I don't have any fear that Anna is for me, right? Yeah. Uh, that I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to hear the kind of criticism that's intended to put me in my place or put me down. Mm-hmm. That if I do receive criticism, I trust her, and vice versa. And that's something we've had to cultivate out of those two differing personalities. Yeah, that's really good. That's awesome. Thanks, Jason. I accidentally skipped that one. That was a really good question. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Else? Yeah. Yeah, Jason.
Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, how do we advocate for our friends, um, especially friends that are girls, women, right? Is that what you're asking in a way that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think one is self-awareness that you, you tend towards escalation, right? All of mm -hmm. us tend towards some pattern of communication, and sometimes that's very broken, right? I shut down. That's not a great pattern of communication, or I blow up. And so if you know, if you're aware that you tend to escalate, then the best thing to do is to remove yourself from that situation, allow the emotions to come down, and then if you still need to address it, address it. Mm -hmm. um, that, well, I mean, that's how we would counsel in, uh, it, within a marriage relationship, is if, if emotions are getting too high, then remove yourself from the situation, and usually, by the time you wake up the next morning, one, you usually feel differently. Mm -hmm. it, wasn't it wasn't as big as a deal. And then you're in a better place to actually address it. The last thing I would say is we are people of grace, right? So we, our first reaction doesn't need to be this. It needs to be grace. And once you lay a foundation of grace, then you can actually deal with real situations rather than just blowing up at situations. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Scott. Okay. My what? Say that again. Your thing. Your spouse. Just say it, dude. Just say it. The thing and the thing. Okay. Okay. One with your spouse. <laughs> Sure. Okay. Yeah. So are we married to everybody that we constantly? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, so what, one, I think, yeah, I, okay, let's just go back to Genesis chapter 2. And I think we have to be very careful that we're not adding meaning to a text, right? So you're right. The Genesis 2 does not describe a wedding ceremony per se. Um, but we do have this picture of, uh, of God presenting, much like a father would walk down the aisle, present his daughter to uh, the groom. And so we have that kind of image of the creator presenting Eve. And so I think I wouldn't make the leap that there wasn't that even though there might not have been a ceremony like we would think of one, there was a movement towards marriage that, yes, was consummated uh, by intimacy, sexual intimacy. And I don't think it's sexual intimacy that makes someone a spouse. That being said, Paul had some serious things to say uh, to the Corinthians um, who, who were making the case you know, my body really doesn't matter as much because the spiritual thing is what's really important. Therefore, I can go and treat my body sexually however I want. I can, I can have sex with prostitutes. And Paul said, no, yeah. that's not true. He said, no, don't you know that when you bind yourself to a prostitute, 
you're becoming one flesh with that person, right? So there is this component, component of what he's saying is the value of sex is through the roof because it's supposed to happen between the union between and within a covenant relationship. And when you take it outside of that, you're introducing something into your life that has uh, exponential ramifications on, on you as a, as a person. So he would say, you can't, you can't act that way. But I don't think Paul would say, well, now you're, you're married to that person. Yeah. I don't think that's what he would yeah. say. Well, that's, that's really the healthiest way to describe that I think I've ever heard. Because I've heard the sermon, the angry sermon of, you know, you've slept with this many people, therefore, you know, you have that many spouses. You know, just this shameful oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. tone of stop living in this way because this is what it really means, right? And I think the church has been bad about communicating like yeah. like that question is saying, right? The importance of sex and in relationships and how that works. And the yeah, reality is we're all right. adulterers, by the way. Yeah. We're all adulterers. And we are all are dependent and desperate for the grace of God to bring healing and restoration. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Joel chapter 2, mm. where the promise of God is, is that God will restore all that the locusts have taken. Yeah. We can feel so ravaged by sin, and we can think, I can't recover from this. I'm, I'm wasted. No one's ever going to want me because of the baggage that's so personal. And the promise of God mm-hmm. is, no, God's a restorer. Yeah. Uh, he will restore you to purity and wholeness. And that is absolutely true. We, we have to dismiss the lie of somehow I'm irrevocably broken and not good for anyone because yeah. I've had, I'm carrying this sexual baggage. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, okay, before we leave, any any last questions? Yeah, Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think having healthy conversations is invaluable. I, I think brothers and sisters in Christ should talk about important things. And I think the more we talk about it um, with biblical and moving towards biblical understanding and practically what does that look like, I, I, can't, I, can't think how, I can't think that that would be a negative thing at all. Mm-hmm. I think if there could be even just open conversation here, right, would be great. And then extending that and broadening that would be great. I think even 
cultivating relationships with, with marrieds and singles and olders and youngers can only help with that conversation because this issue, again, is something we never really talk about. We just, it's supposed to just happen. Uh, and then if it doesn't happen, you're like, something must be wrong with me. Um, there's all those thoughts and we never just bring it out in the open and talk about it. So I, I think there is a place for that. It's needed. And we need to try to create space for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that have gone ahead, you know, that are at a stage ahead, but not, yeah, because sometimes that conversation with someone that's super removed from the dating scene, like you said, is, well, great, I'm glad that's how it was in the 80s. It's 2023, right? You know, there's a disconnect there, right? But when there's a huge gradient of people that have experienced all kinds of things. And that's really, and that's what we had, my college pastor, our college pastor, um, was, I'm trying to get him here, y'all, and one day he will, but um, he was amazing and is one of the most influential people in my life. And he was a really great resource for us because he was, what, 10 years older, 12 years older than us? And he actually got married a little later. So he and his now wife started dating after Blaze and I started dating. And we got to kind of see that unfold um, as his friend and as someone that's um, in his church and kind of got to learn from them as he was navigating that um, kind of at the same time that we were. And that was really helpful for someone that's spiritually further along than I am, but is navigating a new relationship at the same time. That was really impactful for us, I think, um, to just see it happening and say, okay, that worked and that didn't for them. You know, that, that's helpful. But yeah, the more we can, you know, talk across demographics, the more it's helpful. I think so. Yeah. Any other? Yeah. How did you, how did you oh. Oh yeah. How did you and Anna? Let me. Yes. Uh, I was a first-year <laughs> seminarian at um, Southwestern in Fort Worth. She was a senior at UTA Arlington. She came to faith and uh, came to Christ through that ministry at that church plant. Uh, I was serving at a church plant in Arlington, and then she was introduced to that ministry, came to faith in Christ, and then she became a place, she became my on-campus contact, and we developed a friendship, and, um, and that just, then I asked her if we could start dating, and it, she finally said yes after like, I don't know, three months. Two months. Huh. Yeah, she was a new Christian. She was a new Christian. She was a new Christian, so she was like, I don't want my heart and mind to be clouded. I want to grow up. I want to be discipled. And so I just kind of had to chip away at that for a while. <laughs> so she finally said yes to dating me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. It, yeah, one more. All right.
Yeah. Well, That's a good question. yeah, I guess the first response is no, no couples have come to me and said, hey, this is what we want to do. But that doesn't mean there's not a desire or, uh, or a willingness to do that. I, I, think, um, I think if we created the opportunity for meaningful connections between married couples and singles, which I think has incredible value, then that would take shape. Um, and... Uh, and I think that's across the board. We, we tend to, we can feel pretty siloed, and not just the singles and marrieds, but students and kids, and whatever. Um, that, we've got to find ways to make that less of a reality in our church family so that we can talk about all these important family uh, things and see these important things happen. And so all that to say, I would love... I would love for there to be a stronger relationship between various demographics in our yeah. church family. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to let yeah. Megan do that. <laughs> Maybe the singles minister and the marriage minister Maybe. could talk and we could work something out. Maybe we can work I something don't know. out. We should talk to those guys. I don't well, know. Well, we did, we did have an idea. We do have an idea for the hallway up in uh, third floor west to do breakfast up there oh, all yeah. together. Yes. Um, you know, once every two or three months. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah, so, y'all, on Sundays, Danny's class is right across from the single adults class, if you didn't already know that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we need to have, like, a block party, a little... Yeah, totally. A totally. little that's hallway a, party. That's the, that's the simplest thing we could do. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It's a no-brainer. That'd be... And that, those... That class right there is... Is that Adventure Families? Adventure Families, and then you have uh, the... Revelation, yeah. The, the other class, yeah. other married class there. So there's two married classes and two single classes right yeah. next door to each other. Yeah, this feels providential. Okay, well then, that's a good project yeah. to work on. But, okay, can we say thank you to Danny for joining us? 